0: Matthew 6 verses 25 to 34 Therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is it not life more than food and body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about the clothes? See, the flowers of of the the fields grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire... This is the word of the Lord.
1: Sure, these are words that are very, very familiar, a passage that we enjoy hearing because it's so full of hope. Sometimes when we know a passage really well, it's good to hear it written in a slightly different way. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went to. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, and worried people. Lots of them. Worrying about lots of things. What if we don't have enough food? Or clothes? Or suppose we run out of money? What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong and we won't be all right? What then? When Jesus saw all the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to take care of them. So Jesus sat them all down and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened. From where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and little fishing boats coming in from a night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. See those birds over there, Jesus said. Everyone looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along the stony path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they have pantries all stocked up, cabinets full of food. Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a bird with a bag of groceries? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that. Because God knows what they need and he feeds them. And what about these wild flowers? Everyone looked. All around them, flowers were growing. Anemones, daisies, pure white lilies. Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or do they go to work every day so they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes? Everyone laughed again. Who's ever seen a flower putting on a dress? No, Jesus said, they don't need to worry about that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendour. Not even a king is that well-dressed. They'd never met a king. But as they gazed out over the lake, glittering and sparkling below them, the hillsides dressed in reds, purples and golds, they felt a great burden lift from their hearts. They could not imagine anything more beautiful Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things, and God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look after the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you too. Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made, everything in it, birds Flowers, trees, animals, everything. And most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten. They still knew the song. It was the song of God's creation. It was the song that all of God's creation had sung from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He is very pleased with us. It is why Jesus had come into the world to sing them that wonderful song, to sing it not only with his voice, but with his whole life, so that God's children could remember it and join in and sing it too. We're made to sing a song. We're made to sing a song that speaks... Of God's love for each one of us. That speaks of the knowledge that God has made us. And that he cares for us. That is the song we are made to sing. And yet worry and anxiety creep up more and more. And we worry. I worry. I stand here. I am a worrier. And I'm sure every single person in this church would say the same thing we worry we worry about all sorts of things and if we look around society we see that anxiety is increasing sadly it's increasing even amongst children last year a quarter of a million children were receiving mental health care in England for issues such as anxiety depression Eating disorders. A quarter of a million who are in the system are now known are being treated. There'll be many others who don't even realize they have something wrong with them. Childline, which if you remember is the telephone line set up by Esther Ranson many, many years ago, where children are able to call in with whatever is on their mind. They've seen a 35% increase in calls from children seeking help for anxiety. And the worries that they are expressing are adult worries. It's worries about world affairs, fears about the EU referendum, the US election, conflict in Syria. Children have adult concerns and worries and are expressing them. Luckily, they know where to phone and get some help. But our children are anxious about the world. And at our local school, at Wanish and Chamblee Green School, we have seen an increase in children with anxiety, to the extent where we are now funding some counselling sessions for children who are very anxious. That's facts about children. But of course, children don't sit alone in society. All we see in our children is a reflection of what is going on elsewhere it might be slightly more exaggerated. It might be easier to spot. It might be easier to deal with. But anxiety is a feature of our society. We see an increase in stress-related illnesses, addictions, relationship breakdown. And it's quite normal to live a stressful life. It is quite normal to go on holiday and for it to take a week to switch off. It's quite normal to go on holiday and not be able to switch off because you're still answering emails. We live in a stressful time. We live stressful lives, and it has become the norm. It's not how we are made to be. It's not how God has designed us to be. He's designed us to sing a song of creation, that we are made by God, we are loved by God, and that he cares for us. And stress doesn't reflect that message to the world. It's really sad when we see so many people busy, and I find it really sad in church that actually we are as much a culprit as anybody else. So I'm not standing here saying the church is the answer and the rest of society is to blame. How many people get stressed out by church? By relationships in church? by meetings in church, by endless jobs in church. You offer to do something for a couple of months and 20 years later you're still doing it. We are not immune to causing stress in people's lives. And the number of clergy that I meet that are exhausted, that are burdened by admin, by moans, by conflict that find it hard to remember the hobbies they once had. The church is not a good example of how to live a stress-free life. And the message that we are supposed to be living is that song that creation sings. And when we stop and look at creation, it is so evident of God in it. I was just talking to Christine and she and Patsy were up on Blackheath last night listening to the night jars. What a wonderful moment of stopping and hearing something of God's creation. That's a treasure to hear and to see if you manage to see them. We get glimpses of what it truly means to live in harmony with all that God has made. So what do we do? We know. I'm not telling you something you do not know. This is not a good way to live. So what do we do? Let's look at how Jesus lived. Jesus lived in a way that wasn't without challenge. It wasn't without busyness. Living a stress-free life doesn't mean that everything just floats along wonderfully easily. But within the world that we live and the lives that we live, we find an inner peace. We find a life that is in good balance. And as we look at Jesus' life, there was a balance. There was moments of immense tension, of danger, of threat. See how his life ended. But he had time to laugh, to be with people, to spend time investing in the disciples. He spent time alone with his Father in heaven. We see a rhythm and a balance that offers us something that we can bring in to our own lives. And we see in Jesus somebody who lives in the present. Yes, he talked about the future, but he could acknowledge and enjoy the present. Sometimes we run the risk of living in the past, the glory days, Life was a whole lot easier when. Or we look forward to the future. Once there's no children living at home, then I'll have a bit more time. And we don't actually appreciate the present. Jesus lived in the present, aware of the past and the future, but he lived in the present. He gave attention to the present task. When he was involved in healing a blind man, that was all that took up his mind at that time. He wasn't distracted, as I can be, with 101 things going on and I'm trying to talk to somebody, but there's somebody walking past me or I'm remembering something, or have I left my oven on? Jesus was involved in the present task. And he was able to celebrate the goodness of God in the here and now. To see God at work. He was so in tune with God that he knew who to heal. Because it wasn't Jesus, it was God, through Jesus, doing the healing. But he lived in communion with the Father, so that everything he did was in tune with the Father. He sang the Father's song by the way he lived his life on earth. And he got his priorities right. And all the sermons that we've had that have been quite difficult at times, quite challenging All the sermons that we've had recently and all the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount boils down to something really simple. It's about getting our priorities right. It's about living our lives with our priorities in the right place. And we have that coming up here in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we put God first in our life, It affects everything. It affects our behaviour, our attitudes to money, our relationships, our ability to live without worrying. The answer is to get our priorities right, to put God first, and everything else will follow. Not an easy life, but a life in balance with the Father, and a life with that sense of God's presence with us, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, offering us that peace that is beyond all understanding. A life of peace, not ease. There's one phrase that comes up in the Bible more often than any other phrase. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. It comes up more often than anything else maybe god knows what we're like he's made us to live in a way but he knows that actually we don't and maybe he had to keep reminding us how we ought to live and i want us to look at two short verses that say that you can go into a whole study and see how many times it comes up but i've chosen two so the first one if you've got your bible is on page one zero eight three Sometimes it's good to to learn a verse. I grew up learning verses, scripture verses, and sadly most of them I've forgotten, but um, I do remember a lot of them. And actually just remembering, because when life is really difficult, being able to pull to mind a verse is really good sometimes. And this is a good one to learn if you're going to learn one. So John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is a promise. A promise that we do not need to live as the world lives. We do not need to live without the knowledge of God the Father with us. No wonder people worry if you do not know God. But we shouldn't have to worry, and I'm speaking to myself, if God is in our life because he offers to be with us And to give us that sense of peace. And we do not need to be troubled. And we do not need to be afraid. It sounds so wonderful. But it's true and it's real and it comes through time and time and time again. If this was the only verse, you might say, well, it's only once it's mentioned it's something like 80 times it's mentioned. One thing I read said there's 365 occurrences of do not be afraid, one for every day of the year. Then somebody else was refuting that, so I haven't gone to count. But there are a lot of occasions when it appears. So this is a solid truth of God. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Peace I leave with you. And then if you would like to turn to page 1227 1 yeah 1227 This is the letter of John so we The first verse we looked at was the Gospel of John. The Gospel is the story of Jesus, written by four um, people, and John was one of them. Then John wrote some other letters, and we shouldn't be surprised that there are some similar traits appearing. So if John the Gospel writer talked about peace and talked about um, knowing God's presence with us. We shouldn't be surprised that when he's writing letters, there are similar themes coming through. So John wrote three letters, um, and they come right at the end of the New Testament. So 1 John 4, verses 16 to 18. So it's right at the bottom of 1, 2, 2, 7. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How do we learn to live without fear, to stop worrying, to live without anxiety? We replace it with love. We replace it with the love that God has for each one of us. Because there is no fear in love. And perfect love The love of God the Father is the only perfect love there is. And it casts out, drives out fear. What a promise. What a truth to hold on to when life is difficult. So maybe we need to search our hearts and look to see how much anxiety there is. And then to ask the question, if I am feeling so anxious... Perhaps I haven't fully grasped the love that God has for me. And that is a good place to start. To know, to receive, to accept the love that God has for each and every one of us. Because when we know that love in our lives, there is no need to fear. There is no need to worry. There is no need to be anxious. I want to finish with uh, another passage and to give you a little bit of homework because we can have these sermons and we can think, yeah, that's absolutely right. Do not worry. Do not fear. God loves me. And we can walk out to the door and Sunday afternoon comes, maybe even Monday morning. It probably doesn't take very long before something arises in our life and we're back to where we were before we walked into church and heard the sermon on Sunday. This is a lifetime's exercise. I naturally worry. And sometimes I have to actually articulate in my mind what I'm worrying about. Because the the surface things are usually not the things that I'm particularly worried about. I find myself stressing over something. I think, why on earth am I worrying about that? I can do that standing on my head. But when I recognize that and, and probe deeper, I realize that actually there's a fear underneath that it's it's demonstrating itself in something that isn't actually the issue and I can sort the issue but the root problem hasn't gone away and it takes time and it takes discipline and vulnerability to actually acknowledge what is it I fear what is it I'm really worried about if I can't sleep at night on a Saturday it's not necessarily because have I spent enough time preparing the sermon but that's how it plays out in my mind Oh, have you really spent enough time? Surely not. You could have spent many, many more hours. What I'm really worried about is that somebody won't like what I've said. That they'll tell me at the end that I was rubbish. And that really worries me. Because I don't want to hear that. But it won't play out like that. But I have to realise what's going on to be able to counteract it. So I have to know I'm a people pleaser, and I know that. And actually there's times when what I will say won't be liked... Because God's asking me to say something. But when I know that that is the truth and the reality, I can deal with it so much more easily. I don't want to be a people pleaser for the sake of it. But I want to be aware of where my limitations are. And what might stop me doing what God is asking of me to do. It's a really deep exercise. And it's painful and it's hard. Because it finds out who you truly are at your gut. But we can't deal with this unless we're honest and vulnerable with ourselves. So my challenge is to go away and to do some homework through the week and to find Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, which is on page 216 of this Bible. It won't be on, it'll be different pages at home. The book of Joshua comes after the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, the most holy Jewish scriptures, and talk about Moses and the law as well as Joseph and creation. And we get to the end of the Torah and Moses has been promised that the people of God will move into the promised land. But Moses hears that he's not going to be the one that takes him. And Joshua is chosen as the one to take the people in to the promised land. Now imagine you were Joshua. You have lived under the leadership of Moses for all this time. Moses is way up there. You are way down here. You have seen the difficulties that there have been in the wilderness. You have seen what it took to leave Egypt, all the plagues. And you are being asked now to step up to the mark, to take God's people into the promised land. Not an easy task. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So the promise is there. Here's what's going to happen. You can believe in this promise. This is what you will have. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's the challenge, there's the task, and I will always be with you. But God carries on. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Again, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Imagine your boss giving you a task, recognizing what was going on in your heart and saying, it's okay, I understand. I understand what I am asking of you. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I wonder if you are feeling strong and courageous I wonder if you're feeling terrified, whether you're feeling discouraged, whether you know that God is with you in whatever situation you are worrying about. Because God promises to be with us wherever we are. And that is the song that we need to allow to play in our lives. We need to join in that tune and allow our life to take part in that song. That whatever is going on says, my God is with me, wherever I am. Therefore, I do not need to be terrified. I do not need to be discouraged. So this week, find half an hour to make a cup of tea. Maybe have a biscuit. To read this again. To imagine you're Joshua. To imagine what is going on in Joshua's mind. And how this helps. And then to think about your own life. If it doesn't help to think of Joshua, think about Joshua's followers. They've got to be confident in Joshua. They hoped Moses was going to take them in. Imagine how they would be feeling as they look on and hear God saying this. What is God saying to them? What is God saying to us? So half an hour, find your Bible, the book of Joshua, chapter 1. It's easy to find. You don't have to remember. It's right at the very beginning. And ask God, what are you saying to me? Where can I know your presence in my life? Where can you give me courage and strength? And where can I sing the song that you are with me? And I need not worry. Amen.
0: Why don't you pray for us, Debbie? Yeah, pray for us.
1: I don't know what is coming to your mind as I talk about worrying. It might be family. That's an obvious one, isn't it? it? might be a situation. There will be something for everybody that rises to the surface when I talk about you don't need to worry. And I wonder if you would just like to lift that before God now. Think about it and articulate it silently in your mind. And maybe lift your hands up as a sign of wanting to bring this to God the Father. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your promise that you are with us. That you have made us, that you love us, and that you care for us. And may we know that as a reality. May we hold on to that truth, not just as a, as a Bible verse we've learned, but a reality in our heart. And may that shift the way that we are living so that we can know that peace of yours that is beyond all understanding and know that you are with us and we need not fear. So come, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh with a sense of your presence, your love, your purpose in our lives for whatever we bring today. Amen.